You know, he honors our, our works and he honors our obedience and our faithfulness. Uh, but what God is really looking for is people of faith that will risk and do things that make absolutely no sense because we see the Father at work and we want to join in with his work. And when we do that, the Spirit empowers our work. And when the Spirit empowers our work, the gospel is spread. And when the gospel is spread, people's lives are transformed. And when people's lives are transformed, the kingdom of heaven comes down into our very midst. And that's what we want. We want more of the kingdom, the future of the kingdom, in the very here and now. That's our heritage. That's our DNA. As Christians, as disciples, as followers of Jesus, our DNA is that we are kingdom people. We are carriers of the kingdom. We are carriers of the gospel. Everywhere that we go, every context, every conversation, every place that we touch is a moment for heaven to invade earth in the here and now. That's what we're longing for. That's what we're longing to see. See, the life that we live isn't a one day we finish and we go and, and the story's over. That's, that's partly true. We go to be with him. Uh, but we go to be with him so that we can then go and reign with him. Yeah. We go with him and then heaven comes down and the new earth comes and the kingdom is fully established. And we have a part to play in that reality now, making the kingdom known and present. Uh, so we've seen some awesome things, and it's something that we're trying to really ingrain even in our kids. And my, my oldest daughter, Olivia, she's awesome. She's seven years old, and she knows that when Daddy puts her to bed, that if she wants to stay up a little bit later, that she just starts asking God questions <laughs> as she calls him. And, and Lindy, my wife, is, she knows what's going on. So after about an hour of Daddy sitting in there and having all these God questions, uh, she, she said, what are you doing? Are you asking Daddy God questions? Is that what's happening? And are you doing that because you're interested? Or are you doing that because you want to stay up longer? And right now it's a little bit of both. Uh, but I love it. All kinds of conversations about why does God love us so much? Um, how can we be with God? How can others know God? And, and how do we hear God's voice is something that she's kind of on right now because we really believe that God speaks to us, right? John 10 tells us, right, that uh, he's, the, he's the shepherd and we are his sheep and we, we hear his voice. And, and that's also part of our DNA. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve, God spoke to them and he was with them. That's what it means to be uh, carriers of the kingdom is God speaks to us, his kids. He's speaking all of the time. And it's part of us developing an ear to listen to it. And we saw something, I don't tell you the story to brag or anything, but I tell you just because I'm super proud of our daughter. She, she asks a lot of God questions to, to stay up at late, but she does have a spiritual like hunger and desire, which is pretty awesome. Uh, so at the church that we're, we're currently at, we love it. There's such a strong environment of the spirit. Uh, we say we're sort of a word and spirit church, which all churches are word and spirit churches, right? We want to have deep-rooted understanding of scriptures, but we also want to have the outworking of the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, John Wimber, founder of the Vineyard Movement said this about word and spirit. He said, all word and no spirit, you dry up. All spirit and no word, you blow up. <laughs> it's fun to blow up sometimes, all right? Uh, but spirit and word and you grow up. And Jesus in his very ministry was word and spirit. He was God in flesh incarnate and he knew his scriptures uh, but he was also with the Holy Spirit at all times. The scripture even tells us at times the Holy Spirit was present to heal and move. 
Anyway, so our daughter has this desire, and we've been teaching her a little bit, and the church has been teaching her what it means to hear God's voice. And we just uh, had our all-church retreat. We do this all-church camp up in Malibu, which is was just a lot of fun. And they were teaching the kids how to hear God's voice and, and sort of just pray and draw if you're getting a picture or if there's a word, if there's a phrase. And, and on the last night, this, you guys have anything? And Olivia said, oh, yeah, I don't know what it means, but Laura is beautiful. <laughs> Anybody named Laura here tonight? Laura's beautiful. Hey, it's for you. Come on. <laughs> Just take it. And so they, they ran a couple of these kind of words uh, to the guy who was landing the service and just sort of read them out. And he said a couple of them and they said, Laura is beautiful. And then I didn't get a chance to see this. I was running around. But uh, towards the end of the camp, uh, this girl named Laura came up to the reception desk and she said, who, who said that? Who, who knew that? Um, she said she'd been struggling all weekend uh, in this camp in Malibu with all these beautiful, beautiful people all over the place. And she'd been feeling really super insecure. And like everybody was looking at her like she didn't quite fit in. And she was praying every morning. And the only thing that she heard God say is, you're beautiful. And she was so frustrated. She said, God, I need to hear more. I need to understand more. I need to need to, to, to know that you really, really, really love me. And the fact that God would pick her out that night and speak through an innocent seven-year-old and minister directly to her life and healing, that's our God. That's pretty awesome. That's what he does. <clears throat> All right. Sip of water here. We're going to read from John's Gospel. John chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Familiar passage, I'm sure, for many of us. And then we're going to dive into this and just see what God wants to do. So this is John 2, starting at verse 1. I'm reading from the ESV, so it might be slightly different, but that's all good. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to them, they have no more wine. And Jesus said to her, I do not recommend this. I recommend almost everything Jesus does, but maybe not this one. Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill these jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, had now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it's wedding season. It's also the start of summer as we're here Memorial Day holiday. Um, This also is the unofficial beginning of wedding season. And I love weddings. I've been on all sides of weddings. Uh, I've been the ring bearer. I've, 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 I've performed weddings. I've been the best man in a wedding. Uh, I have been the groom. I haven't been the bride yet, so maybe not all sides of it. <clears throat> and I love, I love a good wedding. 
Weddings are a sign of just celebration. It's an occasion to get together with family, with friends, with loved ones, to celebrate this union of, of two people that have committed their lives to be together in this beautiful representation of the way that God loves us. Um, I've also messed up at a few weddings before. Uh, I come from a long line of wedding blooper people, actually, from this guy, too. So I think I get some from him. George, you've probably done a couple as well. We could trade stories. Uh, the first wedding that I ever did about 12 years ago, we, in our first apartment complex, we lived in in Costa Mesa, the couple upstairs from us. We got to know them, develop relationship with them, and they asked me to perform their wedding, which I was honored to do. So it was outside on the cl- beautiful cliffs of Dana Point, overlooking the harbor and outdoor wedding, just beautiful. And uh, so I started the wedding, and um, as I was getting near towards the end, I noticed that people were still standing up, and I thought, that's weird. They don't usually just stand up the whole time when somebody talks. That's weird, and also that's kind of rude. Like, sit down so you can see, see me, I guess the bride and the groom, too. Um, and, and I guess my wife, during the whole time, was waving her hands, like, frantically like this and saying, tell them to sit down, because <laughs> apparently, my first wedding, I didn't tell people to sit down. So every time I do a wedding... Uh, at the top of my notes, it says, ask them to sit down, because that's a common, that's a common mistake. I have married uh, Daniel and Sarah. Only problem was Daniel's name was David, so <laughs> we messed that one up. Not good. Uh, one of my favorite stories from my dad was doing a wedding in the late 80s, maybe early 90s, uh, when hair bands, hair bands, you know what I'm talking about? Spandex rock, you know. Can I say butt rock in church? Is that inappropriate? I just said it anyway. Uh, so, <laughs> hair band, all that kind of good striper stuff. So marrying, uh, marrying this couple, and they all had the long hair and the curly hair and all that kind of stuff, and so did the whole, the whole wedding party. And so my dad said at one point, let's bow our hair for prayer. <laughs> just beautiful. <laughs> so weddings are fun. Weddings can be lots of fun. I've gotten them wrong. I've gotten them beautifully right sometimes. Uh, but a couple weekends ago, I gotta say, I don't often want to brag, but a couple of weekends ago, I absolutely nailed it. Um, our daughter, our oldest one, Olivia, about five years ago, we went to the teddy bear workshop. You guys ever been to that terrifying place before? Teddy bear workshop. And, uh, we, we did the whole thing and picked out a teddy bear for her, which she was very excited to get until it got to the point where you put the stuffing in the teddy bear. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? If you haven't seen it, it's like this whole machine. You put the teddy bear in there, he spins around all that crazy, and they film with stuffing. So at this point, she completely lost it, freaked out, didn't want the teddy bear that we already paid $25.99 for. So we decided we're taking that teddy bear home. And thus began the romance between Olivia and, and Teddy. She still has Teddy to this day. It's her best friend. Um, so letting go of Teddy has been hard for her. And uh, one day we brought home a, a pink teddy bear that she wanted. And she started calling her Mrs. Teddy. And so we said, oh, that's interesting. Does that mean they're married? And she would say, no, no, Teddy's all mine. Teddy's all mine. Um, Until a a few months ago, she started saying, you know what, Daddy? I think Teddy might be ready to get married. Really? I said, yeah, will you talk to them about being married? So I kid you not, this is the stuff that happens at bedtime between her and I. I did a couple of premarital counseling sessions with with Mr. Teddy. And the great thing is that she does a, she does Teddy's voice, a really cool impersonation of his voice. So I would ask her, well, Teddy, um, what are you going to do for a job when you get married? I, I don't know. I'm going to work at the airport. Okay. Great. And Teddy, are you going to be able to provide? Where are you going to live? I don't know. We're going to live with you guys for a while, I guess. Okay. And after a few sessions of explaining love and marriage to Mr. and Mrs. Teddy... 
she finally decided that Mr. Teddy and Mrs. Teddy were ready to tie the knot. So we went all out, and we had a backyard wedding. I think there's a picture maybe up there for it. We had a backyard wedding with Mr. and Mrs. Teddy a couple of weeks ago. Lots of fun. Baked the cake, had music playing, and we read from 1 Corinthians 13, and it was, it was lots of fun. So all that to say, I love that the backdrop, we should take that off, it's getting creepy now. I love <laughs> Mrs. Teddy's, no comment. All right, I love that the backdrop for Jesus' first wedding, uh, excuse me, for Jesus' first miracle is at a wedding, that it's the launching point for his ministry. Uh, we know reading earlier in John 1 that he had just been baptized, right? And his father had said uh, through a loud voice and the dove ascending on, this is my son by which I am well pleased, as John the Baptist, John the Baptist baptizes him. And, and so it's the launching point that he, that he does. So it's coming from this point that it's kind of like, let's do this, let's go. Uh, the work is now ready to go. It's time to, to begin, begin my ministry. Uh, and the first stop that he has is at this wedding. And I love, I love it. He grabs a, a few disciples uh, from John the Baptist that were there with him and says, okay, guys, come with me. And I imagine if I'm one of those disciples, is it Nathaniel, I think, was one of them, a couple of others. If I'm one of those disciples that had been hanging out with John the Baptist, living in a cave, eating bees, wearing wild hair, and, and just kind of living this weird nomadic life out in the desert, and Jesus says, okay, boys, let's go to a wedding. It's like, yes, sign me up for that. So I love it. It's the first thing that they do. And so they go to the small kind of out-of-nowhere town, nine miles outside of Nazareth, uh, and a wedding then, uh, as it is in some, some places still, it's not just a sort of half a day thing or a two-hour wedding. How many of you guys have ever been to that over like four-hour wedding? Those, those are the real deal, right? Like take the pictures already, cut the cake. I love you, but let's go. Uh, these weddings back then would have lasted a whole seven days, a week-long celebration. And the whole community would have been invited in. And even those from the outskirts in the neighboring towns would have come and celebrate, see what God has done as he brings this two young couple together in matrimony. It's not a private ceremony. It's not a Kanye and Kim thing with helicopters flying above. That's maybe an L.A. thing. And Mary, his mother, is there. And Mary's not there just as a casual attender, but she's, she's hosting, she's serving, she's helping to um, facilitate the wedding. And then we know the story, right? We come to a point where the wine runs out. There's a problem. And then I revert to my flannel, what is it called a flannel graph? Flannel, flannel graph thing, Sunday school thing. Michelle's with me, where Jesus turns the water in the wine and, and, and the problem is fixed and there we go and the story's over and, and that's true. But there's a little bit more than that that's going on in this passage. So I want to focus in on three key observations in this familiar passage that we see here. The first one, not revolutionary, but it's a true fact. The first one is Jesus cares about our needs. He cares about our needs. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said, they have no more wine. I was at a Panera Bread uh, a month ago after dropping off my daughter from school, and there was this lady that came in to order her bagel. And I could tell that the, uh, the staff was hard at work because it looked like they had a catering order that came in, and all of the bagels were gone. And you could tell this lady was a regular. She came in at the same time to get her bagel and to get her coffee. And when she asked for the bagel, and they, bagel, and they said, I'm sorry, the bagels have run out, the reaction was, was pretty epic. <laughs> it, it was like telling her, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, you're going to have to be in prison for 50 years. It was kind of like one of those things, like, how in the world? Don't you know me? I come here every week. 
the bagel runs out at a Panera. How can that possibly be? Uh, but this is kind of similar thing that's happening here. The wine running out is like the party would come to a screeching halt. <laughs> and not only that, uh, but the couple and the family, they, they would have really been on the line. They would have been made a social disgrace, an outcast. Like, what do you think you're doing? You invite this whole community into this week-long party and you run out of wine? Like, how could that be possible? It was more than just an inconvenience. They would have been a total social disgrace. And actually, the groom and the family, they could have been legally liable for not throwing a good party. <laughs> like, they could have sued them. So when you're going to your Memorial Day barbecues tomorrow, if they run out of propane or the burgers run out, it's like, come on, man, what are you doing? Get your act together here. So the family would have been shamed. They would have made to feel guilty and, and outcast and really would have started their relationship out on the wrong foot. It would have sort of been like a bad omen, bad luck. It's like rain on your wedding day. The family would live with this long-term shame. And Mary says to Jesus, no more wine, do something about it. In Jesus' response, and again, I don't recommend, the I don't know what the tone is, but the verbiage, woman, what does this have to do to, with me? My hour has not yet come. And what he's doing, it's not a disrespectful response, right? We know this, but what he's saying is the time, the time for my passion, the time for the outworking of my death, burial, and resurrection, it's not, it's not quite happened yet. And he's also redefining the relationship of, yes, you're my mother, but my, I get my directions from my, from my heavenly father. And imagine maybe the tone of Mary's response. Do whatever he tells you. <laughs> I don't know what that would have sounded like. I know what it would have sounded like had I have said it. Like, just do whatever he tells you to do. Uh, and then Jesus, we see, that's moved by compassion. He not only deals with their need, because Jesus does care about our needs, but he does so in unexpected and abundant and abundant ways. So Jesus cares about our needs. But also, Jesus gives us life and joy to the fullness. Yeah. It's not this little half-filled kind of half portion or something that's just going to get us by. The God that we serve, the God that knows us, the God that loves us is a God of absolute extravagance. Right. He's a God that gave his all for us. The God that sacrificed his very and only son for us in the ultimate act of love and sacrifice and humility, pours out himself to us daily in extravagant love. So what we read is there's these six stone jars sitting out on the side somewhere, and, and these stone jars, they, they had a purpose. These, these jars weren't just for decoration. These jars uh, would have been filled with water, as there would have been hundreds, if not maybe possibly thousands of people there for, for a full week and eating and engaging in activities there. Uh, so for, in order for them to, be, to remain clean, remember you're dealing with a Jewish uh, population here largely, in order for them to remain clean throughout the seven weeks, they would have to go and cleanse themselves and wash their hands and wash their feet and to do all of that. So Jesus says, take these jars over here, these jars that are for the Jewish rites of purification and fill them with water. And we know how the story goes. We know what happens next. But this would have made absolutely no sense. What does that have to do with wine running out? Like, we've been doing that already, and what exactly is the point here? And this makes no sense, and this is crazy. But there's a lesson in there for us, right? And we talked about this a little bit at the beginning. Whatever God calls you to do, do it. Even if it's crazy. Now, of course, wise counsel. Is it biblical? 
Are we consoling with other people? Absolutely, all of that. But man, that's a theme throughout Scripture where God asks people to do some pretty crazy things. Hey, Moses, I want you to free the people from captivity of Egypt. Great, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do that? Check out what's in your hand. (laughs) It's a staff. What am I supposed to do with that? Go and I will be with you, for I am the Lord your God. Gideon, Gideon pressing wheat and wine in a wine press, hiding in a cave from the Midianites, afraid of attack and, and, and just people being oppressed. And, and he wants to set them free and he wants to step out. And God says to him, go, I am with you, mighty warrior. That sounds great. How are you going to back me up with that? Starts with this massive army of 300,000. Then it dwindles to 30,000 and 10,000. And at the end, he's hardly got anybody left. And God says, I will be with you. And what does he give them? He gives them pots and pans (laughs) to invade this camp. I just love it. God uses the foolish things of the world, doesn't he? That's just what he does. That's good news for lots of us, especially me. Whatever he asks you to do, do it. Even if it looks foolish. Even if it doesn't make sense. Especially in our time of need. When we feel like we're at our end and... And we've done everything that we're supposed to do, but we're running out of supply. We're running out of our joy. We're running out of just an abundance of the ability to do the things that God has called us to do. In those moments, where do we look for our t- in our time of need? Where do we look for help in our time of need? One of my favorite psalms is Psalms 20, 121. I'd love to read it from you from the message translation. It says this, I look up to the mountains... And does my strength come from the mountains? No, my strength comes from God who made heaven and earth and the mountains. He will not let you stumble. Your guardian God won't fall asleep. Not on your life. Israel's garden will never doze or sleep. God's your guardian, right at your side to protect you, shielding you from sunstroke. God guards you from every evil. He guards your very life. He guards you when you leave and when you return. He guards you now and he guards you always. That's the God that we serve. I love the psalmist says, I look up to the mountains. Does my strength come from the mountains? In in those days in particular, the mountains would have been a place where lots of militaries would have stored weapons in hiding places. It would have been a place for lots of people to, to put their idols and their, and their false images and their false gods. So I imagine the psalmist is penning this and he's writing this and he's looking up to the mountains where people look for strength, where people look for military power and conquest. And he's saying, God, in my moments of distress, where does my help come from? Does it come from here? It doesn't come from here. In your moments of stress, in your moments of pain and anxiety, where does your help come from? See, it doesn't come from anything that we can muster up in and of ourselves. It doesn't come from any source that the world could give us. It doesn't come from any pattern or discipline of success that the world would say, do this and this will happen. It doesn't come from earthly riches. It doesn't come from political power. Thank God for that, especially in this unique season. Can I get an amen? Amen. (laughs) I look to the mountains. My help does not come from there. My strength comes from God, who, by the way, made those mountains as he just spoke them into existence. By a God who ordains life, for a God who's in everything, our strength comes from him. 
Back to the text. <laughs> so these six stone jars, again, not your everyday garden variety jars. I actually have a picture of what those would, would look like. And again, these jars that had a purpose, these jars for purification and for, to, to cleanse themselves. And each one could hold about 30 gallons of water. So my math's not awesome, but I do know that six jars of water times 30 equals 100 and gallons, 180 gallons. So 180 gallons of water would be held in these jars. And as they do that, and we don't know at what point the water turns into wine. I think it actually happens as they step out and they do what he tells them to do. There's something to our obedience and our faith and our trust. And the servants saw that the water turns into wine. And now all of a sudden, 180 gallons of wine. That's a lot of wine. I did the math on this too. That's about 2,880 8-ounce glasses of wine. Grape, grape juice. Is that better? Grape juice. I don't know. <laughs> but listen, this is the point. Jesus brings the party, man. I'm just saying. Jesus, Jesus brings the party. Where Jesus is, there's a party there. Because where Jesus is, there's life and liberty. Where Jesus is, the Spirit's there. And where the Spirit is there, there is freedom. Jesus brings the party. Wine throughout the Old Testament and New Testament was also the symbol for joy. They would have heard this. They would have understood this. The readers would have known this. Ah, he's doing something here. There's something interesting going on. It's not just about the wine. But Jesus is saying, look, when your joy runs out, (laughs) when you're running on empty, and you go to those jars to clean yourself, maybe the religious things that you're doing, the moral purification, trying to make yourself look right, or your wells of success and money and stature, when you go to those things to try to clean yourself, guys, it won't do, because there's only one thing that will fill you to the point of overflowing. When your joy runs out, Jesus steps in to bring us life. Jesus steps in to bring us life. Jesus is saying, I am the only one who can supply what you need. I'm the only one that can give you a full surplus of joy that's not just temporary in the moment, something that you sense and feel, and we get goosebumps. I love goosebumps, but guess what? It's a joy that's eternal, that's everlasting, a joy that's not dependent on circumstances, a joy that's not dependent on what we do or what we don't do. Jesus says, I love you because I love you because I love you. And because I love you, I pour out my spirit upon you so that you can be filled with eternal, everlasting joy. Is that good news on a Sunday night, Memorial Day weekend? I think it's good news. No amount of moralistic living, no amount of pursuit of self-righteousness will do. What the law did in part, Jesus now comes to complete and to fulfill. What the law did to, to, to get them to a standard of, of cleanness and a standard where they could stand right in front of God, Jesus now comes to say, all of that stuff is done. It's not that it didn't, it's just that I come to fulfill it. That there's a new, there's a better way. There's a way that's relational that comes through my son, that comes through my spirit. And I just absolutely love what's going on in this passage. I love it that where there was an abundance, an abundance of risk, of, of shame, an abundance of risk of even financial hardship to this family, to this couple, Jesus comes and he brings an abundance of joy. 
an abundance of joy, overflowing. And this ain't no two-buck Chuck stuff. (laughs) This is the best stuff we've had. Well, yeah, because it comes from a different source. When you drink something that comes from the living waters, and Jesus says you'll never thirst again, it's a game changer, man. It's a game changer. The wells that you used to go to to get that quick fix, the wells that you used to go to, to to maybe numb yourself, the wells that you used to go to to have a sense of pleasure and meeting in a moment when you encounter the real thing, that stuff don't do no more. It just don't do no more. It's like, it's like we have In-N-Out Burger. Like, I love McDonald's, but, I mean, if there's McDonald's In-N-Out Burger right there, like, it's always, I love it. There's an In-N-Out Burger and a McDonald's on the corner of our house, and sometimes the line is long at McDonald's. I'm like, people, this is In-N-Out Burger, man. Like, get up in there. They got shakes, and, and they got the best stuff in town. Once you encounter the best stuff in town, the other stuff just simply does not do, man. And guess what? Jesus brings the party. Jesus brings the best stuff in town. Why? Because he loves us. (laughs) A lot of time I would ask that question of of myself and say, why? Well, because I'm awesome. (laughs) Or because my dad's a pastor. Or because, you know, I've lived a pretty decent life. And and guess what? It has nothing to do with that. (laughs) Because the moment we start thinking it has to do with that, then we kind of asserted ourselves in a place where we don't want to be. And guess what? The opposite side is true. Well, Jesus isn't going to give me that because I'm a mess, man. Like, seriously, I come to church, but if you all know, knew what was going on with me, like, you wouldn't even want to sit next to me. <laughs> and you know what? Grace abounds. Grace abounds, not for what we've done, not for what we left undone, because Jesus loves us with his abundance. This theme of abundance runs throughout John's gospel. Y'all doing all right? Jesus, who had raised the temple in three days that was built for 46 years, that's abundance. Jesus, who not only heals the royal official son, but he does so from long distance, that's abundance. Jesus, who heals a lame man who had been lame for 38 years, that's abundance, man. Jesus, who feeds a crowd of 10,000, 5,000 plus women and children, 10,000 with only five loaves and two fish. Eight months worth of salary. That's abundance, people. Jesus who heals a man blind from birth. Jesus who raises a man that had been dead for four days. Jesus who turns water into wine. What was water is now wine. What was word has become flesh. What was impossible is now possible. What is dried out, leading to death, is now full, overflowing with abundant life and joy. He's an extravagant God. That's who he is. So where are you tonight? (laughs) We can be honest. We can be real. Have you you had a sense of, man, I feel like my joy is running out. Like everything I do, I take a step forward and it seems like there's a door closed. Or I've been praying for years for my family members and just things aren't happening. And you're feeling like, God, what is going on? What are you doing? Where are you in the midst of this? Do you maybe even feel like the couple in your situation, like you're at risk for public shame? Like people are thinking things about you and you think, man, my stuff is not together. Are you struggling to find joy? Guys, this is the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is not for a nice, neat, put-together people. 
You know what Jesus had to say about the nice, neat, put-together people? Whitewashed tombs. <laughs> the message of the gospel is for the hurt, the broken, the lost, and the lonely. So that he can raise us up to a status that we can never attain for ourselves. That his, riches, his, rich, his righteousness would be cast on upon us. Are you running out of joy? You're at a good place. When you're at your end, Jesus shows up, man, and he brings the party. And all you have to do is step into it. I kind of like simple things, and I know that's simple, but that's awesome. <laughs> that's a game changer. John 10.10. 10. I came so that they can have real and eternal life. This is from the message. More and better life than they ever dreamed of. Life to the fullness, an abundant life, not this counterfeit life that the world tells us. Where we got to climb and crawl and try to get over everybody. And, you know, the, he who has the most Instagram followers wins. You know how temporary that stuff is? It's like that. That kind of life does not mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. Jesus gives us a life of abundance. D.L. Moody, come on. Yeah. All right. D.L. Moody said this. He's a mid-19th century American evangelist. He said this about joy. And I like this. Happiness is caused by things that happen around me. I.E., the Warriors winning that game. I was happy. <laughs> Let me just say. And I you know you said no gifts, but anybody got Warrior tickets? We'll, we'll, we'll do that. Just kidding. Sourdough bread is awesome. I'll take that. <laughs> Happiness is caused by things that happen around me. And circumstances will eventually mar all those things. But joy flows right on through trouble. Joy flows on through the dark place. Joy flows in the night as well as in the day. Joy flows all through persecution and opposition. It is an unceasing, fount unceasing fountain bubbling up in the heart, a secret spring that the world cannot see and does not know anything about. The Lord gives his people perpetual joy when they walk in obedience to him. Yeah. Do whatever he tells you. He cares about your needs, and he wants your meat to meet your needs with fullness and abundance. Why? What's the simple answer, guys? Because he loves us. <laughs> because he loves us. What is God inviting you in to do? Whatever he's inviting you in to do, do it. Because his joy will fall to your action of obedience. Finally, as we're coming into the land, right? Coming into the land, land to plain. Thirdly, the last thing, Jesus wants to involve us in bringing life and joy. Jesus does the heavy lifting. He did it all by himself. He died, he rose again. He's accomplished that for us. But the amazing thing about our God is just as I love seeing our, my kid giving prophetic words and praying for other people, like he loves it when us as kids partner with him in his work and bringing life and joy. He absolutely loves it. He asked them to go fill the jars and they didn't quite know what they were doing. It's like a very childlike instruction. We ran out of wine. What do we do? Fill the jars. Okay, he said, fill the jars. Let's go fill the jars. Let's do that. And then before their eyes, <laughs> they see the result of their obedience, the result of the power of the Messiah in front of them as water is turned into wine. Jesus involves them in the work. 
Lazarus, dead for four days, who surely stinketh by now. Jesus speaks a word. Lazarus, come forth. And what does he say to his friends and his disciples there? Roll back the stone and unwrap his grave clothes. See, Jesus wants to involve us in getting rid of the stench of death on this earth. He does the heavy lifting. He speaks, life comes. And then he wants to use us. Roll back the stone and unwrap his clothes. The crowd of 10,000. Jesus, what are we going to do? You feed them. The very simple childlike instruction. And in front of their very eyes, multitudes. More than enough to carry home because our God is a God of abundance. And he wants to use us to not only experience his joy, and that is important, but to express his joy so that others could come into the kingdom. If Jesus could transform common water into wedding wine, if he could spit into dirt and there would be new sight, if he could speak into a troubled sea and cause it to become a pathway, then he could transform the waters of our lives. Shallow, murky, polluted, stagnant, and sour as sometimes they may be for the shower of blessing for the world to see. And where the gospel spreads, because we are carriers of the gospel, joy breaks out. Yes. Joy breaks out. And then finally, just lastly, I love that there's so much stuff going on in this passage. We don't have time to unpack it all, but it tells us it's on the third day when Jesus goes to this wedding. I wonder what he could be possibly hinting to the third day. The third day when Jesus would rise again. The third day when the ultimate purification would come. The third day when the master of the feast, who's online for throwing a good party, would throw the ultimate feast and invite us all in. Jesus invites us to the party, and he wants us to be carriers of the party. So I'd love to just ask you a couple questions as we come to to close. Are we going to do some songs and stuff? What do you want to do? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah? All right. Yeah, I don't know. PT's in the house. He's the man. But as we do come to a close, just want to ask you to think about a few questions, and maybe we'll we'll worship for a bit. Um, Just simple, the same question that God asked Adam and Eve in the garden, where are you? Like, where are you? Like, God knows where you are. <laughs> but he wants us to, to, to wrestle with that. Like, God, where am I? Where am I? Where is my, my sense of joy? Am I, am I actually feeling like, man, it, it's depleted a little bit. <laughs> he wants to pour out his fresh spirit of living waters upon you to give you an everlasting and eternal joy. So where are you? And then what is he asking you to do? What is he asking you to do? What is that step of faith, risk, and obedience that God is asking you to do? And what would it take for you to take that step? Where are you? What is he asking you to do? What would it take for you to take that step? I'd love for you to join me in prayer as we begin to transition to to, to worship, song worship. So God, we thank you for the truth of your gospel. God, we thank you that you are the giver not only the giver, but you're the sustainer, you're the creator of life, that every good and perfect gift comes from you. Not because of what we've done, but because of the profound and simple truth that you love us. And so God, we pray that even tonight, that God, for those of us that 
Perhaps we're experiencing weariness. Emotionally, we're tired. Physically, spiritually, whatever it is. God, we thank you that you are a healer. And that, God, that we won't look to the mountains, to, to wealth, and, and to what the world tells us to look at. But, God, we turn our face to you. Because you're the giver. You're the sustainer of life. So, God, as we worship you, we pray that you would just fill us with your joy, fill us with your hope, and fill us with your peace. Amen.